And as y'all are seated, we're going to be in that passage, you might have guessed, from Romans in a couple minutes this morning. So if, if you have your own Bible, or uh, maybe if you have scriptures on a device, that's going to be Romans chapter 6, starting with the first verse. If you're using one of the Bibles that was in the seats around you, that's page 886. But first, let me pray. So Heavenly Father, again, it is a privilege to be able to to gather, to sing to you, to worship you, to engage you through your word. We pray that you would please come now by the power of the Holy Spirit and that you would be our teacher in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning, Dennis. It's great to see you. You can always count on Dennis for an enthusiastic reply. Uh, If you're new this morning, you should know that we're in the second part of a new series called New Year new you. So we started this last week, and we were beginning by noting the Bible's description of the Christian life, which reminds us that at the very core idea of the Christian life is this this newness that we were reading about, the idea that when someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ and they become a Christian, it's not like they're kind of different, or now they maybe believe some new things, and they live a little bit differently The Bible says it's way deeper than that, that it says we're actually now a totally different being. We're a totally new being. So last week, we started with this emphasis that in Christ, we as Christians have new life. Now, today, we're going to take up a question that is related to that new life, and that's this. Maybe some of y'all have wondered this before. Okay, so if I am a Christian, and if I... If I'm not who I used to be, who does that make me now? In other words, if I have put my faith in him, you know, based on what we were looking at last week, if, if what Jesus says is true in John 3, that I'm, I've been born again, if what the Apostle Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 5, that I'm a new creation, I know that I'm different. I know who I used to be. How am I different? Who am I now? In other words, we're going to see As Christians, it's not just that we have new life, but with that new life, we have a new identity. Now, the reality is we got started a little bit on this last week, and we saw some pretty important things. One, that as Christians, we go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive, and that we know we have God's forgiveness. We've been adopted by him. Those are obviously huge things. They couldn't be any more important. At the same time, when you go to the New Testament and you look carefully at what it has to say about Christian identity, we find this concept that gives us an even clearer picture of how we're to understand and to see ourselves. And that's the idea that through faith, we have what the Bible calls union with Christ. Union with him. We've been united to him. I just want to say, if that sounds like some sort of abstract theological principle to you that we should leave to the seminarians and Mark and the others that are down the street at Beeson Divinity School, here's why that concept couldn't be all more relevant and more practical, and that's this. It helps us as Christians answer a question that Christians have been asking themselves for 2,000 years, and that's this. If we know that people, that Christians, are accepted by God not 
based on what we do, not on what the Bible might call our works, but on account of our faith in Jesus. Then we should ask, does it even matter what we do? You ever ask yourself that? Does it even matter how we live? Now, that's what Paul's addressing as he starts out this passage in Romans 6. He's addressing this objection that some people could have about what we're saying and, and asking, well, in that case, if sinning, uh, if my sin is so good at showing off God's grace, why not just keep on doing whatever I wanna, wanna do? What, talk about a win-win. I love sinning, he loves forgiving. This is great. Now, as everybody knows, the answers to questions about how we should live are ultimately rooted in the answers to questions about our identity. And that's how Paul starts to take us. That's the direction that he leads us in. He's gonna say, if you wanna understand this question, you first gotta understand who Christians really are. And you cannot fundamentally understand who Christians really are until you understand that they are a people that have been united with Christ. They're connected to him. So understand your union with Christ. And one, you'll know who you really are. We're gonna see that in verse 11. And then a lot of the answers to the questions about the Christian life, they may not be simplistic, but they become a lot clearer. We're gonna see that later in verses 12 through 13. So here's what we're gonna do now. Y'all, we're just gonna walk through this passage and we're gonna try to get at the heart of this idea of the thing that is union with Christ. What is it in the first place? Why is it such a big deal? Why, why does it matter for everyday Christian living? And the way that we're gonna do this is we're gonna break up this passage into four kind of headings as we walk through it. Imagining Paul saying these things to us. How shall we live? Remember, you've been united with Christ. This is how you should see yourself. This is how you should live. That's where we're gonna go now. I hope you have your Bibles nearby or, or you're, I'm on page 886. Let's get into this with that first question. How shall we live? Now, again, we've touched on this a little bit, but chapter six is starting out and Paul's talking about this question, this concern that even other Christians had, which is, look, if, if we tell people that they can just go on sinning, what's gonna happen? Verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, one of the biggest hangups that people had is if we tell people this, are we, not, are we not permitting people to sin, to just live however they wanna be? Are, are we not uh, allowing it? Are we not even going a step further and encouraging that? Have you ever thought about that or wondered that? If you have your Bible with you, look at the answer to that question, verse two. Look at what he says. By no means, absolutely not. How can we who die to sin still live in it? How is that possible? Paul says there is a problem with this question that some people might ask. And the problem is if somebody's a Christian and they feel able to even ask that question, it's almost as if in some way they've forgotten who they really are. And that leads to what he's then gonna say, what he seems to say, in verses three through 10, and I'm obviously paraphrasing. He seems to say, remember, you've been united with Christ. You've been united with him. 
So we're going to get to 3 and 10, and Paul is pointing out the utter incompatibility between who Christians now know themselves to be and their life that they're called to today and who they used to be and the life that they used to live. And and his logic, as we set this up and and look at these verses, it kind of goes like this. Just bear with me for a second here. Imagine you're at a a company that you work for and and you've been married for a couple decades. There's a, a young man that you've been mentoring who comes to you. He's newly married and he's asking for some advice. Now he comes to you and says, look, as you know, you're at the wedding. Um, I love my wife and I love being a married man. There are also some things that I really miss about being single. You kind of perk up. He looks at you and says, I really love, I really miss being able to play golf whenever I wanted. I really miss playing video games for two hours when I got home from work every day. You know, I really missed knowing that I could count on Saturday being my day. I could watch as much college football to my heart's content. I could just park myself in front of game day, uninterrupted, end of story. I miss that. I miss getting to choose what I watch on Netflix. Is that so bad? Now, imagine they say, been doing some thinking about this, and, you know, I think I'm going to give it a go. And I think I'm just going to start doing that stuff again. And I know what you might say, but before you say anything, just keep this in mind. I think it's going to work. And the reason that I think it's going to be fine is because, thank God, my wife told me that she loves me unconditionally. Okay, what, what would you think in that moment? First of all, we think that guy's an idiot. Okay? You think this is going to work? Obviously, it's not going to work. That, that can't happen. Why is that? We tell him because he's now a married man. That's, he's not the man that he used to be. He has been, we use the language in a wedding ceremony, that he has been united with his bride. So he is a different person in a sense. That's the, use, that's the life that he used to live, but that is now, again, utterly incompatible with the life that he's supposed to live now. And, and if he thinks that going back to doing these things is going to be good for his marriage, or that it's even an option, we'd be tempted to say that it's almost as if he's forgotten who he is. Maybe he's even in denial of that, that he's been united to her. And as we get to these verses, we're going to see Paul using very similar logic. It's the same reason that he says it is so crazy for Christians to ask if they can just go about life keeping on sinning, which is in essence doing whatever we want to do, even when they know or because that God loves them unconditionally. He tells them, remember their union. And obviously not with their spouse, but with Jesus. So if you have your Bible by you, let's look at verses three through five. We're going to read that. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in the Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried before him, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. 
Now, you probably noticed, you get to verse five there, and we've got this union language. He talks about being united, reunited. But before we even get there, we've got all this language about baptism. We could ask Paul, why are you talking about baptism before you get to this? Here's why. Because as Christians, we know baptism is an outward, invisible sign of an inward, invisible reality. If you're here this morning, or maybe if, if you happen to be watching online, maybe you, were, you grew up a Christian and, and you happened to be baptized as a child. You were, uh, you were baptized as you were raised by parents that were committed to following Jesus. They were Christians. They were disciples. That may have been your experience. You may have had Christian parents that said, you know what, we'd like to wait until you're older, until this can really happen. I'd like you to think about it more. You might have had the experience of maybe becoming a Christian as an adult and then being baptized or maybe being persuaded about baptism, that it that really is something that Christians need to do as a baptism. You hadn't, you hadn't been baptized before, but now you have been. No matter what our story is, it's hard to overstate in the New Testament just how important baptism is because baptism has so many meanings. On one hand, it, it signifies the washing away of sin, It signifies the giving of the Holy Spirit. And on top of those things, it signifies our identification and our union with Jesus, our union with him. Now, if you look at the the Greek in uh, in the New Testament, whenever it's talking about being baptized into Christ, this is even more clear because when you look at the word, when we're being baptized into him, it's, it's, I should say, it's always talking about the fact that we are baptized not in him, it says into him. We're being placed in Jesus. You go to the Great Commission, the end of Matthew's gospel, and it talks about us, as we know, being called to make disciples, and then to be going and baptizing people literally into the name of the Father and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the actual preposition. We, we have been placed in Jesus. And so we've been talking in the series, and again today, about how we as Christians, when, when we become Christians, we are someone that is totally different. We know one of the key ways that we are different is that we have been united to Jesus in this new way. That, that's why we have this language about baptism. So what's the big deal about this union with Jesus? And you can see Paul show how he says it's a big deal in two ways in verse five. So did you see these? He says that we are united as Christians with Jesus, number one, in his death. And then we're united with him, number two, in his resurrection. Now, what does he mean when he's talking about those two? Let's look at each of those just for one second. So first, he's talking about you being united with him in his death. Look at verse three, if you have that by you. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. You know, it's been said before that our baptism in its own way is kind of like a a funeral, And if you've been to a funeral and maybe the burial service after that, you can kind of understand what's going on there. If if you've been to a burial, you'll know 
one of the most um, heavy moments is that moment when the, the casket or the remains in some way are lowered below the surface of the ground. They're placed into the ground. For some of us, depending on who that person is in our life, that's the moment where we feel the greatest sense of finality, isn't it? As this person is buried, they're really gone. And the same thing can especially be seen when someone is baptized with a body of water, whether that be in a large tub or or a, a pool or a river or a lake. When someone goes down into those waters and under the surface of the water, they also are buried. There's a death that's going on. That's why Paul talks about our being buried with Jesus. Now, it'd be fair to ask, what's it mean to be buried with Jesus? Have you ever wondered that? Because he starts to answer this in 6 through 10. So he talks a lot about being baptized into Jesus' death, being a death to sin. In verse 6, he says, Our old self was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we'd be free from sin. Verse 10, he says the death that Jesus died, the death Jesus died, he died to sin. So what could he mean by those things? Some of you are familiar with the great Anglican theologian and writer and minister, John Stott. And he wrote a great book in the 80s called Man Made New. This was a series of teachings that he did on the book of Romans chapters five through eight. And he talks about this death in this passage and in the broader New Testament in this way. He says this, quote, whenever sin and death are spoken of together in the Bible, this is really helpful, the essential relationship between them is that death is sin's penalty. Death is sin's penalty. So when it says in verse 10, that he died to sin, and when we know that we also have been buried with him, it's gotta mean that as he died and as we died with him, he paid our penalty. He paid the price of our sin, amen. That's why this is such a big deal, being united with him in this way. So that's the first way that we're united with him, in his death. Now let's talk about the second one. We're being united with him in his resurrection. What's the big deal there? Let's go back to the passage real quick because we see this mentioned a couple times. Verse four says, we are buried with him in baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Then he says it even more plainly, verse five. If we've been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. So it's one thing to identify with Jesus's death. We know it is an entirely separate and additional thing to identify with him in his new life. It's, it's, it's not just that we have been exonerated, we have been resuscitated. It's totally additional. We, we know I'm, I'm connected to Jesus now. I'm, I'm identifying with him. And because I'm connected to, with him, not only have I died, but since Jesus has been raised, I also have been raised. How do we even get our minds around that? Let me just give an example. And I I know, especially for the attorneys in the room, this analogy breaks down, but just follow me for a second here. They always do. They always do. 
Imagine for a second that you've got a friend and that friend goes out and buys a piece of land. And over the course of many years, he develops it, tends to it, cultivates it. And then years later, uh, markets it and sells it and makes a fabulous amount of money. Now, we would be excited for that friend, we would say. We'd like to think they might take us out to lunch one day. But when it comes to that sale, there are limitations to the degree to which it changes things for us. It doesn't really do anything for us. Now imagine on the other hand, and if this were possible, that as they bought that piece of land, they also put our name on the deed. And then after all that work that they put into it over the course of many years and and their marking of it, they sold it. And now that fortune that they've made That's a fortune that just they're entitled to. We're also entitled to it now. Do you see that? We're entitled to it because our name was on there with him. We're connected to him. And the same thing goes with the resurrection. That's why this, the resurrection, that's why this union matters so much. Think about this. Y'all, if Jesus was raised, but we're not connected to him, that doesn't do us any good. It doesn't do us any good. That doesn't... That doesn't make us any different from someone that does not trust in him, from someone that's not a Christian. It's because of our union with him through faith that we get to share in the privileges of the resurrection. So another way of putting it, the resurrection is made personal to us. It is appropriated to us because of our union with Jesus. Meaning no no union with Jesus, no resurrection for us. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why it's so important. Now, how do we sum up then the ways that we've been thinking about this in terms of being connected to Jesus in in his death and in his new life? Uh, We we can rarely do it better than Stott does. So let me go back to him one more time. And I'm going to read an observation that he makes about this. It's going to take me a moment. Just bear with me for a second. He says this, trying to picture this. Suppose there's a man called John Jones, an elderly Christian believer who's looking back upon his long life. His career is divided by his conversion into two parts. The old self, John Jones, before his conversion, and the new self, John Jones, after his conversion. The old self and the new self, or the old man and the new man, are not John Jones's two natures, They are the two halves of his life, separated by new birth. At conversion, signified in baptism, John Jones, the old self, died through union with Christ, the penalty of his sin born. At the same time, John Jones rose again from death, a new man, to live a new life to God. Then he says this. Now, John Jones, I could add y'all, is every believer. We're John Jones, if we are in Christ. The way in which our old self died is that we were crucified with Christ. By faith and baptism, we were united to Christ in his death. The death he died to sin became our death and its benefits transferred to us. So having died to sin with Christ, we have been justified from our sin and having risen with Christ, We are alive, justified, and justified to God, our old life finished with the death it deserved. 
our new life began with a resurrection. Y'all, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, this is your story. This is who you are on the deepest level. You wanna know how to see yourself, Paul asks. You wanna know, he says, literally how to regard yourself. He gives the answer in verse 11, based on everything that we've seen, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You wanna know who you are, Paul says? That's who you are. And then to go back to the opening question in this passage, not only is that who you are, but in light of that in 12 and 13, he says, because of that, you should live like this. Here's how to live, or to use his own language. He says, don't let sin reign your bodies. Don't go back to your old life. You should be presenting yourselves to God as people that have gone from death to life. Why? In his own words, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but you're under grace. Now, let's just add this. If that's what it means, according to Paul, to be under grace, to not allow sin to rule over us, which would seem to imply that we as Christians are called to fight it, to present ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness, clearly what a life under grace can't mean is just going about life doing whatever we want because we know we have God's unconditional love anyway. It can't be that based on what he's saying. Or to go back to the picture of this clueless newly married dude. Okay. Stepping into his married life for this guy means two things. One, seeing the miracle of what's already happened. Hey, the fact that he has been united to his bride. He is no longer his own. He is connected to her. And then number two, since he's connected to her, life's not the same anymore. Life can't be the same anymore. Even if his wife says to him, she will love him no matter what. It is a different life, paradoxically. It is a harder life, and it is an infinitely better life. And Paul says the same goes for us, for Christians. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we also have new life in him because we've been united to him. Okay? We've been buried with him in baptism. We've been raised to him in new life. And even if he says he's gonna love us anyway, we can't, we can't live the ways that we used to because we're not our own anymore. We're in him. So let's just close with a final thought or two about what this means as we just go about everyday life. And here's just one reflection. Have you noticed when somebody talks about being united to somebody else, like when we talk about it in the context of maybe someone getting married, this union is described as both a singular event, past tense, and an ongoing experience. Think about that for a second. It is both those things. So I'll give you an example. Somewhere there's a record in the Shelby County court system that says one Brian White was married to one Lauren Sanders. We were united to one another and on a hot July day, I assure you, back in 2015. Past event, already happened. And at the same time, that, that reality is something that is experienced 
in the presence in an ongoing way as we go for walks together, as we talk with one another, as we go to dinner together, as we have, as much as anybody else, very heated conversations and discussions. There's a sense in which we enjoy one another. Now, why is this worth mentioning both these aspects? Here's why. Because for most of us, is it not true? We, we, we can be tempted to neglect one or the other. And here's what I mean by that. On one hand, some of us overlook this past dimension of this unity that we're talking about. In other words, we, we forget that as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we really have died, we really have been raised. And because we neglect that, the, the way that we can know we do that, if we do that, is frankly, we still go about our lives frankly, embracing some of the same destructive thought patterns and behaviors and and habits that we had before we we were a Christian, but we treat it like it's not a big deal, like it's, it's, it's no big thing because we know that God's grace is so big. Can you see the problem with that? Can you see if, if, if we do that, we're, we're just going like that guy, we're forgetting who we were, we're, we're We're not remembering who we are, the union that we've had, in this case, that we've been united to Jesus. If that's the case for us, we know it means not only in being united to him do we have his forgiveness, but we also bear his call to holiness and that he has set us apart as we've been united to him and then we've been called by God to live knowing that we've been set apart. That's one way that we can neglect this. Second, For others of us, we are fully aware of the event that has taken place. We fully know our forgiveness, our call to holiness, and what we tend to overlook is the experiential part. And what what that means is we may in some way be lacking an appreciation of the experiential or the personal dimension to this relationship. It's kind of like this. Imagine uh, a couple that gets married or maybe a, a... couple that walks down this aisle together. The bride walks down, they, they get married here, and then they go and they move into their home or their apartment after their honeymoon. Then imagine if that woman were to, to leave the house, her husband's still there, and she goes to work, and she starts actually going about her life, but she never goes home again. She never spends any more time with him. She thinks of herself as a married woman, if anyone asks, she, she introduces herself as a married woman, but the reality is she's not having any degree of intimacy with the man that she was united to. Okay, if What's going on there when that happens? She is conceiving of marriage as above all things and almost exclusively as a status. And she's overlooking the personal dimension to it, the experience of being married. And if that happens to be you, if, if you... If you can relate to that at all, recognizing everybody life's, everybody's life is full here, that might mean there is some way in your everyday walk with God where you are, you are really needing to fight for and to create margin for you to have time experiencing more of God, time in the scriptures experiencing more of him, time on our knees in prayer, time maybe for set apart just times of, of being still in worship and song. Now, I say that, I've got two kids, a four-year-old and a nine-month-old, and I stay reasonably busy in this role. 
I recognize all of us has a lot of life on our plate. You might be slammed with work. You might be slammed with responsibilities with family. You might be, feeling, you might be saying to yourself, I'm just trying to keep my head above water. And you may, you may well not have time for extra margin. But, but if, if that might be you, just think about this for a second. Take a week, try this. Take a week, don't go on Instagram. Don't go on Facebook. Don't go on your TV or don't stream Netflix on your laptop or your, your iPad or whatever you might watch it on. Take a week of stepping back from those things. It might be that we actually have more margin and more time for connecting with God than we actually thought we did. And so friends, one last time, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, I should add, if you've been baptized, if you haven't been baptized, we'd love to talk to you about that. But if you've also been baptized, and if you're struggling in any way to really know who you are and how to live, how God's calling you to live, maybe this is a great place to start, that knowing above all else, what Paul says there in verse 11 is true for all of us, that having been united to him, we are dead to sin. We are alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's our new identity. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you that we get to be connected to Jesus and you have made us totally new people and we are not orphans. We are brothers with Christ. He's our savior and our brother. We praise you for that and we, we praise you for this new life that you've called us to. Lord, for anyone that is in here struggling to bear that in mind, this new pe- people that you've made us, please, Lord, will you assure us of that? And will that verse hang over us that we have also been dead to sin and made alive in God or to God in Christ Jesus. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.